he just like made a press release and MSNBC, ABC, and CBS cut away from him as he was lying. So hmm. that feels good. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Dave. Thanks for joining Bob and I for our podcast, Thriving in Dystopia. And even though we always try and be professionals, sometimes we swear. So just know that going in. Hit me, Dave. Hit me with your best shot. (laughs) Fire away, Dave. Fire away. Bob, I am podcasting while standing for the first time in my life, and I feel like I found my true voice for the first time. I feel like the the wheels are off, and I am on the road. The training wheels are off, and I'm flying down the road. It took three full seasons, one bonus episode, but you made it, Dave. It's never too late. It, it's this just teaches us it's never too late. It's never too late. It's never too late. It's never too late for now. <laughs> Man, maybe I'm, maybe I'm gonna get a lot of singing off on this episode. I think so. I yeah. think it's just a music musical episode. <laughs> That's gonna drive the editors crazy. <laughs> <laughs> they well, they got it. They got That's not me. So I'm going <laughs> to pass it on to the next guy. Not me either. That's that's our old Nadir Chayech, the old Bosnian. Love you, Nadir. Yeah. So, Bob, how you doing well, today? I'm feeling good after the warm up session with you. You know, it got me back in into the game, ready to go go out there, enter the fourth fourth quarter. <laughs> Do you think podcasting is a fourth quarter? Man, I kind of feel like Yeah, it is. Yeah, yep. Maybe it is. It's I let me tell you a little bit about my day, ready? Oh, please, yeah. If this is a fourth quarter, then I'll tell you what. Um we woke up and at we were running a little bit behind schedule and we went out to the car and it had a flat tire. I was driving Julie to work because we're loaning our car to our buddy Weston, who's visiting. And he had the car because he is up in the mountains this week. And I was like, started tearing my trunk apart. And I realized I don't even have a spare tire in my trunk. Oh (sighs) my God. I know. So we're like getting our bikes all set and pumping up tires for Julie. And like, just like, I'm on a full sprint to work, get there. And, I pulled in at like maybe like five minutes before I have to be there. Kids arrive at like mm. eight, eight thirty. And I get in the door and I'm sweating so bad. I'm just like <laughs> so sweaty. And you know, when you put a mask on when you're really sweaty and you're like, oh my God, this feels horrible. It does. It feels suffocating. <laughs> yeah. And I go into my room and I like Cause we had, you do the, we do these things called lockdown drills every now and then. And I had my blinds down in my room and I went to the window and I opened up the blinds and there's this, one of my students is just like waiting outside with her like face pressed against the window. I'm like, Oh my God. God." (laughs) I'm like, Oh my God. This is like just the way to start my day. And I feel like I've just been going, going, going since. And here, here we are in the fourth quarter, ready to 
see if we can get it down the stretch with our true podcasting standing voice. You know, when I told you it was the fourth quarter, did you think of a basketball game or did you think of a football game? Oh, definitely football. 100% football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did too. That, that is what I meant. So it's kind of like, you know, you opened today with, you, you had to kick and you kicked and they returned it for a touchdown on you. First possession. Yeah. First possession. Sweating balls. Sweaty girl outside my classroom. <laughs> breathing down. <laughs> it kind and of felt like you're. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like the car thing is the kickoff return against <laughs> you. And then the girl in the classroom is you finally got the ball. Your first possession, your, your running back fumbles. and. <laughs> The other team has the ball on you oh, in yeah. your red zone. Pick six, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I am constantly texting sports analogies, and I'm constantly erasing those sports analogies because I'm like, huh, <laughs> is this relatable to anybody in the world? Like, I feel like the word audible is like, ah, maybe we should just call it an audible. But I feel like that's like such a... Uh, like a sportsism, and I don't know. I think yeah, the, totally the majority of the world would understand that, but I'm also like, there's so much jargon in speak, and like especially when texting. I don't know. I just want to like, kind of taking that, like, analyze that a little bit. You know, I'm I'm so glad we're on this topic because I really didn't think I would get to talk with any about this really weird sports thought that I had earlier today, but here we are and and it's become relevant. Nice. So, you know, there's this stat in football that's really weird. Like the name of it's really weird. And I never thought about it growing up. Do you want to try to guess which stat I'm thinking of, Dave? Um, boy. It's a Uh, defensive stat. I was going to say yak, but (laughs) that's a good one too. Uh, Actually, it rhymes with yak. Sack, huh? Yeah, isn't that weird? Like, like, why do they call it that? Yeah, to sack like, the quarterback. Yeah, and then this defensive lineman has 10 sacks. That's so funny. Because it, for someone who's never thought of football, it's like, oh, they have 10 sacks, meaning like they have 10 backpacks or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, we should start calling them satchels. I bet we did call them satchels at one point, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> or burlap bags. Yeah. <laughs> saddlebags <laughs> that's a classic oh, wow. old school reference you used to be saddlebags that was one of your nicknames do you remember that i do i'm not sure how i got that nickname yeah and my nickname was money bags remember <laughs> sounds like the poker days yeah <laughs> saddlebags um yeah well bob it's good to be joking around with you but i'm kind of one to before we even get into the meat and potatoes, we got to get into some of the what's on our mind a little bit. And I'm curious to talk election with you. We sit here on a Thursday, November 5th. We recorded on Monday with our good friend, Michael Bishop, and that episode's not even out yet. And right. Yeah. So we're trying to just get back on the sketch because we missed last Thursday, but yeah, it's pretty, it's just like so up in the air right now. And I'm curious to, just maybe spend five to 15 minutes talking about the election a little bit with you. 
Sure. Yeah. It's certainly something that probably everyone or almost everyone has been following or stressing about, myself included. It's hard not to check the updates and all that. Yeah. We started out with those election returns and you and I were texting. It came out early, like Florida was flying for Biden early and big lead with, you know, 9 million counted. I thought things were headed for that blue wave. Very wrong. Definitely didn't. Like later in that night, I was definitely feeling like, oh no, it's going to happen again. Like Trump's Trump's going to take this thing. Um, it was very scary. I think like a lot of Trump returns came in across the nation. But by the very end of that night, it felt like Biden had, I think it was actually Arizona, like winning Arizona and Fox News calling that. You remember that? Oh um, man, yeah. Why, that, why did they do that? That was so weird. It, it like signaled to me that like Fox maybe wasn't as tied to Trump as we have maybe thought or something like that. And that was a very good sign. Not only that Biden maybe had won it, but that Fox was the one calling it. Yeah, sort of the establishment coming out and being like, you know what? We're done with you, buddy. Like, you pissed us off. Like, something went wrong. Like, that felt so... I didn't hear about that until the next day because I went to bed at like 7.30 or whatever. Um, Right. But I was like, this is wild that like Fox called that i'm not, i was trying to make heads or tails of it but it felt like a a very nice sign like from like something is up with the establishment like the the backing like i don't know exactly what that meant but i definitely was happy more happy that fox called it like if msnbc called it i'd be like well whatever yeah that doesn't say anything yeah exactly yeah and you know ever since then it's just been a grueling slog and As we record this right now, things are still up in the air and we are actually, there was some indications that maybe Pennsylvania would get pretty close to finishing their count tonight. And the way things have been going today, it's, it's looking pretty positive for Biden there. So, and that could just seal the deal. I think another thing that I'll mention is that like totally unsurprisingly, Trump has tried to, you know, steal things like many times over, over the last three days. He's basically not winning, you know, the courts have uh, struck down his lawsuits. The, like we mentioned, Fox is not um, following him. He just like made a press release and MSNBC, ABC and CBS cut away from him as he was lying. So Hmm. that feels Good in the sense that if he la- tries to launch a coup, uh, some of the th- backers that I was fearing are maybe not backing him. Certainly his like his bases, but and that's certainly scary. But I don't think that's enough for a coup. So uh, that's how I feel right now. Things can change, but that's that. And then also we could talk about all these other issues around that it wasn't a blue wave and you know, probably losing the Senate and all that, but I'll, I'll kick it over to you, Dave, and just see how you're doing with things and any reflections you have. Um, 
maybe what Mike said on last week's episode that the establishment has like sort of drained Trump for all that they can, you know, like they have taken, oh yeah, taken, they've like made huge gains in consolidating their power and, um, sort of monopolizing where, what the power structures that be are. And they are kind of looking at where the world is right now and being like, I don't know if four more years of Trump is going to be like, okay for us, or if it's going to lead to a global catastrophe that we can't come back from. And I Mm -hmm. think that that is kind of meaning like, you know, we got what we needed. The world's pretty fucked right now. And we're going to move towards stabilizing. And if, you know, obviously stabilizing does not mean former years of Trump. And I think if anything, Biden is like, he's like a stabilizer. Um, and I don't mean that necessarily a good way. You know what I mean? He's like, you know, re-stabilize capitalism. And I think that to me makes just like, it kind of makes a lot of sense. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. I think that that is the indication that Fox News is like, we need a little bit more stability here. And yeah, it feels like, I don't know, I'm breathing a sigh of relief, to be honest, because it feels like I'm in the same boat. It feels like nothing is going the way. Well, okay, of course, like waking up and reading the news that Trump declared himself victor. I was like, I just was like, you know what? Like, that is just like so boring. Of course you declared yourself victor. And <laughs> yeah, like, what else would I like? That's like not even surprising. Like, it's like, yep, that's what he did. Like, nobody's surprised. And I would have been like kind of astonished if he hadn't have done that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. He's been very on script, you know, nothing surprising about his actions. Yeah. But the the reactions from other, yeah, like from the courts and Fox News and other establishment pieces are like a little bit more like, oh, that's interesting. That feels like a little hopeful. Um, yep. Yeah. And I don't know. I'm holding out hope for Georgia. I don't know exactly where we're at with that. I haven't checked today. Yeah. It's been such a busy day, but I think that'd be kind of cool if Georgia, I don't think we're going to get two senators from Georgia, but we might get one, right? It looks pretty probable that both Senate races will go to runoffs. Uh-huh. And so I th- think even in runoffs, it would be like really hard to get two. But if if they ran like amazing runoff races, it is possible. Yeah. And am I right that the other Senate races like Alaska and North Carolina, are those the other two that were still yeah. up in the air? Those are both going to go Republican. It looks like North Carolina will. The Democratic candidate from Alaska has like a 30 point deficit, but he, he tweeted saying he's going to come back. So uh, Nate Silver said, like, don't go to sleep on this race yet, just yet. Wow. <laughs> well, yeah. That's pretty weird. I mean, if if nothing else, the system feels more broken than ever with this idea that like Alaska has two senators and so does California, you know? And yeah, that that's right. Biden's winning the popular vote by like four or five million people. That's like so many people if you think about it, you know? Um, I guess I haven't looked at last I looked, he was at like four million, but I was assuming yeah, it, that's it, would, right. it would keep going up. Um Probably will. Yeah. 
And it's like, that's just wild. And so, yeah, the system feels pretty broken still. And that's hard. And I don't think it's going to change. Like, I don't know exactly what pieces of this broken system will change, but God, it'd be nice if there'd be a few wins over the next four years. And starting with Biden as president, that'd be a nice first win, you know? Yes, a necessary one. Um, because uh, I, I don't know. I think most, most strongly, like, or most immediately in terms of the climate catastrophe and COVID, mm, right. you know, if those keep on going the, the, the direction that they're going, I just feel like extinction is, is, you know, very close behind them. Yeah, extinction. And and as you named it, the nuclear crisis as well. Yeah. On last week's episode. And yeah, I I think immigration is in better hands with Biden than Trump. I don't, I don't necessarily, I'm not going to, I don't know the ins and out of where we're at, but there's a lot of me that feels like a lot of the pain and suffering will be mitigated. But I do know that I, or I think it was Mike that said like more people were deported under Obama than any other president. Right. Yes. Yeah. And you know, so I, I'm not like super hopeful, but I think that there's pieces of it that feel like hopefully well, we can find a little bit more humanity. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see where things pivot because you mentioned like, I think this was something you mentioned to me on the phone, like, the silver lining of Trump winning is the social movements will stay larger. So with Biden winning, that means a fair amount of liberals and moderates will stay at home. And that's, that's also unacceptable. Half, there has to be mass pressure to keep moving things. And that's really hard to fight that um, because people are also tired and sick and all these things. So. Um, yeah, I think that's the, the 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 big question in the next, you know, period. And mm-hmm. yeah, I'm not sure that there are any answers to that, except maybe, you know, the thing that I typically find the most hope in is the youth. And I was looking at some exit exit polls, and my analysis of the exit polls is Biden did as well as he did. Because of people who came out to vote against Trump and the youth, especially the youth of color and especially black youth. Hmm. Yeah, I feel like there was a push from a lot of Latinx youth um, or like at least the Latinx community that were like pro-Trump. But I don't know if that was just like a news feed that I was getting clipped into. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think the Latinx community is like pretty broad and there are like some sectors that are loudly pro-Trump. And then, you know, if Biden wins Arizona, it's because of the Latinx activists there. So there's also really awesome stuff with, uh, yeah, Latinx youth and, and activists. So yeah, they are, and they, you know, as compared to white, Gen Zers, Latinx Gen Zers are 
more solidly by about 20 points pro Biden, at least mm. in the exit polls. Okay. Yeah. That's, those are good numbers. Um, yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens tomorrow and hopefully it'll be a bit of good news. When is, yeah. uh, when is it supposed to be announced, Bob? Yeah, it really feels like we should know tomorrow. Um, Philadelphia, or sorry, Pennsylvania has said the whole time, like Friday, and Nevada has said Friday. So I think people are really expecting tomorrow, unless something goes awry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whew. Well, yeah, it's been cr- quite a topsy-turvy week. Yeah, it has. I mean, psychologically, it's been like extremely weird. Like reality has not felt typical <laughs> since the election. Yeah. I will feel, I guess I'll feel no matter what, I feel like I'm ready for it to be over. Right. At this point, it feels like it's been droning on for a couple of years at this point. And I'm like, not saying that whatever happens, I'm just like ready for it to be over, but I'm like, I'm feeling a little drained from taking headspace right now and yeah i'm ready to move on and start start holding joey b accountable yeah i i don't think i mean yes tomorrow hopefully we'll have the announcements trump won't go away tomorrow though and so that'll be another you know he'll he'll definitely be taking our headspace for a while longer yeah. Yeah, of course. But yeah, we need that. We need that at least like crucial first step. Right. You're right. I totally agree. Well, shall we talk about this new season that we're unveiling today, Bob? New season. Yes, Dave. Please. This is great. I'd love if you could introduce it to the listeners and and get us started. Yeah, I... We've just been talking about all kinds of different things, and one of the things that we kind of wanted to loosely base this season around ended up being the idea of celebration and the idea of this idea of coming together and this idea of the holidays, because as we're just coming out of Halloween and into election and coming up on Turkey Day and um, yeah, all the December holidays. Um, it just feels appropriate to think about celebration and what what it means to be celebratory and yeah it's it brings up a lot of like i'm sure if if you the listener or you the brother think about like what all those like holidays mean and like what it means to like celebrate and i think we can take critical lenses to each of that and sort of extrapolate into, as we like to do, into the self and into the greater community. And I don't know. I think we're both kind of intrigued to go down this path. But also, I think right now we need some celebration and we need this idea of like, yeah, something to, to celebrate. Because I feel like, I mean, the meme at this point is like, 
at every turn, like 2020 is going to get you. doesn't matter what you think, what you want, what you're going to do. 2020 is going to eat you alive. It's, it's just like, it's coming for you. So, and I know that we have found so very little to celebrate this year as like a greater whole, the greater world. And there's like, it's so much easier to think about what, what we can be mourning and what we can be grieving and what we can be, you know, it just look at the titles of all our podcast episodes, you know, grief, death, solitude, isolation, loneliness, you know? Um, but I think that it's important to find that celebration. So, you know, I'm coming into this episode with um, a belly full of 8.8 double IPA and ready to ce- ready to celebrate. <laughs> That's a celebration, Bach beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and no, I mean, it's, yeah, right. I mean, that could be a whole episode on alcohol, but yeah, I'm curious to hear what popped up for you when cele- celebrating came up, Bob. I like this theme for our, our fourth season. Uh, one reason I like it is because it is in this show, Thriving in Dystopia. So like, what is the place of celebration in a dystopian landscape? And I think you spoke to that in the intro when things feel bleak and maybe even like resources are really stretched. What does celebration look like? And is it is it even okay to celebrate when the conditions are like that? And then, since we're living in a pandemic, like celebration so often has the feelings of coming together. Like that is a sort of necessary component of celebration, or at least it feels that way. And you know, by definition, in social distancing. We can't do it, or if we do it, we have to like really change it up. And so, yeah, I'm interested in exploring this topic, like in the dystopian context in general, but then also in the pandemic, it feels particularly relevant. And and this year has been very like there's been ways that celebration has had to be changed in a lot, you know, and I maybe will mention that my partner and I were uh, slated to get married this year and a marriage, sorry, a wedding is a celebration, right? It's the celebration of the start of a marriage. And we decided, you know, very, um, you know, it took a lot of back and forth and it was a challenging decision, but we decided to postpone it. And so that celebration basically like hasn't happened. And, and when I think about that, I think like the bringing together to celebrate and like, what is the celebration there? And it's certainly like people just coming together and just witnessing each other or being in each other's presence. And then also, I guess there's an honoring involved, right? At least in a, a wedding, like honoring. I guess the, the guests honor the, the people who are getting married and the people who are getting married 
honor the guest guests. So yeah, I I think there's that aspect of celebration too, like honoring, which I like. You know, what what does that look like? And like ceremony. And I guess there are certainly ways to do that in a pandemic, at least that aspect of it. So th- those are things that come up for me. And yeah, curious, Dave, what has, if you want to respond to any of that, or what has this 2020 looked like for you and in terms of celebration, at least at that level? Yeah, I have a, two responses, but I'm the first one. I'll talk a little bit about it. The idea struck a chord with me. The celebrating in these moments of sadness can be a difficult thing. And celebrating like your own success or your own happiness when there's a lot of sadness around is like kind of feels like a hard, like, like kind of like eggshelly type of thing, you know? And yeah. I think I think there's a few different viewpoints about this. Like I've had a lot of success this year in where like in my career, you know, I've gone down a lot of nice paths that I've been wanting to go down and it's like a lot of doors have been opened and I feel like there's been a lot of celebration on a personal level and I feel like people Sometimes that can be a, like a like a really positive thing, you know. And I want, and I think that that sharing that joy, like my joy with the world, can be uplifting. And it can take like the idea that like your your buddy or your brother or like someone you love is feeling a lot of joy for their life right now. That feels like you know, just taking the lens out, that can be like such an uplifting moment to be like, yes, I can't, you know, this, this year sucks, but you know, it seems like Dave's in a really good spot and I'm really happy for him. But then it's also like when you're just like down in the dumps and someone else is doing well, that can be like a really, like, you don't want to like rub in the dumps. It's like, I, nothing's going right for me. And like, look at Dave, like everything's going right for him. Although that's, I'm just using myself as an example, you know? So anyways, it it feels like kind of like an eggshell type of thing. And I think a lot of it is how, yeah, just like that acknowledgement of that like celebratory moment and like the acknowledgement that like, yeah, like this is, this is a joy that I want to share with you because I'm hoping that it will bring you some joy as well. And I want to share this, this joy with with all of us because I want to, the joy to be a big thing um, that we can share. But yeah, I I think that it's just like not an easy thing. So yeah, this idea of celebrating in 2020 feels like a little bit like, I mean, there's like, nonetheless, there's been a ton of celebrations and a lot of them have felt really crappy. You know what I mean? Like, mm, yeah, because it's not quite the right moment and it's not quite done in the right way and it's hard it's a really hard thing to do so the the other thing that came up for me bob was kind of that question of like how are you feeling about you know this idea that you i mean you made the 
call pretty early on, like your, your wedding was going to happen at a pretty weird time where you had to call it off, like right when the pandemic was starting or you had to decide if you wanted to like push through, but sort of looking back and I know that like it got rescheduled for next year and you know, it's not like it is set in stone, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything at this point. You know what I mean? It was set in stone for this year. Like, um, yeah, like the world doesn't feel like even tomorrow doesn't feel totally set in stone, but yeah, I'm just curious a little bit to hear about how like the feelings that are coming up for you on this, like, yeah, potential missing out on this. Cel- I mean, it you've missed out on the at least celebrating this year, but doesn't mean that you won't do it next year. But yeah, I'm just, yeah, just want to hear about that. I guess um, I I treat celebrations, I think, as... Maybe like icing on the top or something like that. Something like uh, I'm really grateful for them and I enjoy them. But I don't think I feel like they're ever like a deserved thing. Um, At least for me, you know, in my life, I don't feel like I ever, like no one owes me it. I don't feel like anyone owes You know, this is, this is interesting because I think maybe when I was younger, I did, or at least remember that birthday party or that birthday that I had in Spain where I was like really agitated that I didn't get to celebrate my birthday. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So that I feel like I was acting like I deserved it. And I do think about that one a lot. And I was like, what got into me? And I, I kind of like never wanted to act that way again. So yeah, these days, and in terms of the wedding, like there's grief around it, but there is not like a a sense of like I was robbed or something, you know? And yeah. it also just felt like absolutely the right decision. So I yeah. feel like good in that. Like, yeah. Um, so yeah, those are some things that come up. Hmm. Yeah. Is it hopeful too that looking to next year that they're, you know, there's still the wedding on the table, you know? So is that yeah, still- it is that it still could happen or should happen maybe, but it also does feel like it's certainly not a given next year either. So yeah. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Another thing I wanted to talk about too, Bob, was just kind of a, a reflection as to hear what have been some of your favorite celebrations or like what is what are your some of your favorite memories that you've you've gone gone through for celebration and maybe if you could point out like one or two things that made them so ideal or so perfect or so happy mhm i guess uh, what comes to mind are birthdays and I'm thinking maybe one birthday that strikes me for whatever reason is the birthday that I had. Maybe it was my 30th birthday and it was in Santa Cruz on Canfield Street when Ian and I were living there. 
Big Salmon, yes. as you nicknamed that apartment. <laughs> nice. And it was an interesting birthday where a lot of people came and certainly a lot of like farmies came, which were your colleagues at the UCSC farm right. or, you know, co-interns. And some of my grad, grad school people came, some activists came. And I think maybe that's what, what it was that I enjoyed it so much that like crowds from different places, all quite friendly, like ended up coming. And that was a surprise. And I stayed up pretty late that night and just really enjoying things. So Mm. yeah, maybe that's an element of it, both like the different people who come that you don't expect. Yeah. That, that maybe that spontaneity as well is really something I enjoy. Mm, Yeah. The surprise factor. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How about for you, Dave, what comes to mind for you as like maybe one wonderful celebration in your life? Yeah. I'm, I guess when I think of celebration that I, I just like go to all the Thanksgivings we've had and all the Christmases we've had as a family. And nice. Yeah. I feel like it definitely feels what feels. I mean, there's, (laughs) there's some classic moments. I remember. um, I mean, we always talk about some of our favorite Thanksgivings, but it's like, again, it's like the surprising moments where, you know, we're sitting and like this like meal comes together and it's like, whoa, this is like the best, like this idea that like all of a sudden I like cranberry sauce or like, yeah, uh, you know, or the idea of Christmas is all about the surprise too. So I feel like the surprise factor, like something like novel feels like kind of a important element of celebration it has to take you away out of the mundane and it, mm-hmm. ha- it has to like pull you out of the day to day, the grind, the monotony. And I feel like surprise does that. And it doesn't, I guess maybe it doesn't have to have that, but surprise can be a way to like shock you out and shock you into this like next place where it's like, you know, we're not, at, we're not in the normal. We're in the like spirit realm. We're in the like, the the make-believe and you know you're a kid again and all these things are like what comes come up around these like celebratory moments um i think another big part of it is this gathering the idea of togetherness you know and you can't have i mean you can but i just feel like doesn't it feel hard to celebrate by herself? I, and yeah, it doesn't, it almost feels inhuman, you know, like we don't watch, I mean, we do, but we don't watch sports by ourselves. We go to like a bar to watch sports with other people, even if we don't like those people or they're rooting for the other team. I mean, it's like, we want to be, in a room where people are like engaged in the celebration together. And I feel like sports has this idea of celebra- celebration and 
Yeah, I don't know. It's this idea of gathering, and I don't like big gatherings. I like intimate gatherings. So I've never been a big fan. Like that birthday party that you're talking about, I remember it, and I remember liking it, but I also like feel like if it was my party, it would feel like a lot for me to manage because it would feel like a lot of like crowds and coming together and like this Mm -hmm. like weird like blending that like I do remember that night was pretty magical in a lot of ways where it blended nicely. But like I think we all know that feeling of like, oh my God, how are these people even gonna like talk to each other? Like, you know? Um and I feel like that happens at bigger parties and bigger events. It sort sort of feels uncontrollable. But I feel like at a smaller gathering you're like with your loved ones and it feels like something special and something out of the ordinary. And you're also like able to like be, yeah, be like calm and relaxed and like not have to manage things that are like too uncontrollable, you know? Yeah. That's interesting. I, I just, maybe this is a bit of a sidetrack, but I, you know, I think we mentioned poker earlier in the night and if you would describe our poker styles, I'm very like conservative and, um, you know, I'm a grinder, you know, just like not taking too big of risks. Your, your poker style is not that you necessarily take risks, but you're, you're certainly willing to take those risks. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to these gatherings, it's it's the reverse. I feel like you enjoy a smaller gathering where it's not as risky. And for whatever oh, yeah. reason, I love I love those massive parties that we used to have back in the day, and and just going for it. Um, I <laughs> that was a that was a different difference between the two of us. You, two of us, but in this other domain, we're we're flipped, and I find that really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't, I'm not, it doesn't quite make sense. Like if you were to like just know the two of us, you would never really guess that I would be the one that likes to sit in the corner at parties with like friends and you would be the one that would be like the wild child. Like, you know, not not necessarily like in the middle of the action, but like not willing, not like shying away from it, you know? Yeah. I feel like that goes against what you would think. And maybe that's just the booze, you know? <laughs> and how that Could changes be. I mean, things. the booze helps. Yeah. yeah. No, I don't think it is, though. I would just like... I mean, even looking at how we've celebrated in the past, like, I remember my college graduation, I decided to, rather than sit on the floor with all the people that were graduating, I decided not to dress up in cap and gown to get my diploma. I decided to sit up with you, you all in the stands. Um, and which is so funny. What, what a funny thing to do, go to a graduation. And instead of being on the center stage, I was with the people that came to celebrate me. And I remember just like not wanting to take part of the pomp and circumstance. And yeah, I don't know. That was, yeah. that just feels like kind of a funny thing to do looking back on it now. <laughs> yeah. It's like Dave Maisler is there for Dave Maisler, you know? 
<laughs> Got to show up for him, you know? <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah. 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 I like this. There's some interesting things here for sure. And the, and when we bring up celebration, um, I think we have, we opened up a lot. And I think the beauty of this episode is we can maybe end it here and like pick up on a lot of these themes throughout the season. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's the best part of episode one. You don't have to close anything off or you just, the whole goal is to open up this idea and see yeah. where, see where we can lead down this path. And, you know, inevitably it will go nowhere, just a winding trail into nothingness. But, um, yeah, I'm glad to walk down the trail with you, Bob. Yeah. I like opening these things up. So yeah, with that, we have season four, we have a new dessert to end our episodes. Oh yeah. What's it called? It's called, oh my God, I'm forgetting it. Is it, did you know? Did you know? No, it's not called Did You Know. I we wrote a theme song like forty five <laughs> minutes ago, and I was gonna sing it right now. Because, but here oh, I am. I'm, I'm already sitting down. I couldn't make it fifteen minutes with my true standing voice. I've just been drained. <laughs> I'm drained at this point. Uh, oh gosh, is it called Did You Know? Oh yeah, that's how it goes. It goes. Hey, hey, did you know? Hey, hey, did you know? Hey, hey, did you know? Hey, did you know? Did you know? <laughs> nice, Bob. So, yes, Dave. Thank you. You got you got the did you know for us this week, don't you? I have the did you know. Yeah. And I'm going to give you the did you know. Here it is. So, Dave, did you know that Colorado had 78% voter turnout which was the highest in state history and the second highest in the state of the union this year colorado wow um no i didn't know that i am gonna take a wild guess at who had the highest turnout and please do i think i'm gonna go with massachusetts excellent guess that's not correct. I can give you a hint. It's this state has had the highest turnout, like I think four or five presidential elections in a row, and it held suit again. Huh. So it must be a battleground state. Because why bother voting in the state of California, right? Yeah, you're right. California's turnout was something like forty percent. It was very low. Yeah. It just doesn't matter if you show up to the polls in California. And, you know, so if it's a battleground state, I want to say that it is Ohio. It's not a, not a bad guess. I'm going to give it to you, Dave. The number one turnout, I think it was 81%, is Minnesota. Huh. Okay. That seems fine. <laughs> That, and that's fine. <laughs> that's not bad. Yeah. Interesting. I wonder what makes up that factor. You know, I was also looking, you know, through state voter history and was surprised at, like, what states have voted Republican or Democrat in past presidential elections. 
And one of the states I was looking at was North Carolina. And while it is heavily, heavily Republican, it is only heavily Republican by like a, like a couple thousand voters every year. You know what I mean? Oh, wow. It's it, like, so it just always like just barely leans Republican. Yeah. For like the last 70 years, it's been like that, which is pretty interesting. And Colorado as a state has not, it has been very, um, democratic in the last 12 years. Like, and it's just like gonna, and it seems like the way Colorado's going, it's going to be a blue state for forever, you know, with yeah. the way the front range has been flooded with people and mostly people, younger people. And, um, yeah, everything about the way Colorado has been going feels like it's going to be a blue state forever. But even I believe it was, the both Bush elections, they voted for George W. Bush. So even before yeah, that. Up, yeah, Colorado was definitely a red state. And so it's pretty dramatic that Colorado has shifted so, so fully. Yeah. And there it is. And yeah, that Colorado shifted so fully and that North Carolina has been like, just a bellwether of a couple thousand people voting Republican and not changing for 70 years. So I was really hopeful that it would change this year, but it doesn't look that likely. Does it? It, yeah, it's, it's so close. It seems like it's probably going to go the wrong way, but maybe next time. Yeah. Well, anyhow, Bob, thanks for that. Did you know? Always good. Thank you. Always good in the one episode that it's happened. Yeah. Would you call it a doozy of a did you know? <laughs> ah, I'm going to hold off. Good. Yeah. No, I'd call it a doozy. I just don't know if I'd call it a real doozy. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> well, Bob, I am going to let you do the social media coordinates and then we'll sign off for another week of Thrive. Let's, let's see if I can coordinate to give the coordinates. Let's start with the email address. That's the beautiful Dave Peachtree, all one word, at gmail.com. If you want to get us at Instagram, another great way to get us, it, it is thriving underscore in underscore dystopia. You can tweet at us, which few do, but we love it when they do. And that's at bmaze, B-M-A-Z-E 19. And then the last one is our website. Thanks to the mixer. We love you, Mix. It's thrivingindystopia.com. Sweet. Well, Bob, thanks for this episode and excited to celebrate over the next few weeks with you. Yeah, absolutely. Let's hope this episode holds up well over time and just great to hear your voice again, Dave. Love you, Bob. Love you, Dave. Take care. What's up, Driving Crew? Bob and Dave want to take a second to thank you for lending them your ears. They also want to thank the artists for making everything a little more beautiful. Intro song is In Heaven by Drake Stafford. Our audio is edited by the consummate and dexterous Nadir Chayech. Web design by Chris the Mixer Sawyer. And of course, visual art is by the prolific and enigmatic Joe Shine. Finally, the new outro song is today's special, Jam Tomorrow by Dr. Turtle. Have a good week and see you next Tuesday. Tuesday.